And there we go, everyone. We are back again for another fantastic conversation on Friday Night Counter-Attack. This week, we're going to be talking to someone very special all the way in Canada and about very, very different topics across across the pond as well. So it's going to be very good. I'm still surviving through... We have hay fever here in, in the United Kingdom. I think you call it allergies in Canada, I think, Sarah. Um, so it's, it's quite worrying for me going on to a recording making sure I'm not going to be sneezing and crying my eyes out. But I've done what I must to get myself ready for this for this episode. But everyone, um, please welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Sarah, you're, um, are you based in Canada or do you get to travel around quite a lot in, in Europe as well? No, I'm based here in Canada, in Toronto. I've only just, this has actually now been about a year now that I've started doing football journalism. So I traveled right. almost once to Costa Rica to see Canada qualify for the World Cup, which was fantastic but yeah mostly just based here but still covering everything across the pond uh Premier League La Liga Champions League obviously Serie A so get to no. talk about a lot yeah no it's good to hear that as well and it's good to see obviously you're part of um what's the name of your platform called because you've got two names isn't it it's the 442 room 442 and then you've got the other one isn't it so yeah uh, if so you can remind me of that one no, no trouble at all. We're Room 442. That's the football show at Homestand Media. So That was yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's really good to see because I've been watching it for a couple of weeks now. I thought, oh, you know what? It's quite cool to to see how people from Canada kind of talk more about um, European football. But because their own league, your own CPL was growing slowly but surely every year, it's really good to see how some of these players could eventually be playing in the Canadian Premier League in another five, ten years as well, which will be amazing to see. And obviously you've had Lorenzo Insigne uh, move to Toronto. And I feel Toronto's still playing the MLS, don't they? They're not in the CPL, right? Yeah, so the way North American sports work, which I feel like for you guys doesn't make any sense, but it's not just football, it's also basketball, American football. There's no relegation or promotion. Yeah. So Toronto is in the MLS, and as of right now, they just stay in MLS because they can't go anywhere else so cpl is kind of like the level below like it would be i guess like the championship to the premier league not okay. on that stature but like that idea yeah so yeah. Yeah, we have lorenzo insigne and federico bernadeschi in toronto and uh doesn't matter because toronto is miserable this season <laughs> they're shocking <laughs> it's crazy now i remember when i was in i went to toronto back in 2017 with, with my mum and with my mother sorry and then i was just kind of going about and i was like toronto has really good sporting facilities for all their sports as well. And it's insane to see how well they did. And I think two years later, that was their first NBA title as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> beating Golden State Warriors, I think it was, and Kawhi Leonard leading um, Toronto Raptors to their first NBA title was insane. And I remember that because I, I was at the um, the arena outside. I was like, ah, oh, damn, I came a few days late before they had a home game there as well. So I was like, it would have been really cool to see. And it's really good to see how... Obviously, football is kind of growing, soccer is kind of growing in Canada, especially after the World Cup that you had in Qatar and playing some aggressive attack in football, which I thought was fantastic. Alfonso Davies played in like every single position from what I saw from my point of view as well. But how did it kind of, how did you kind of receive it back home in Canada? Was it well received? Was it appreciated, even if you got knocked out in the group stages? How did you find that, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, it was massive, especially for me, because I've never seen the men make a World Cup because the last time they did was in 86, so way yeah. before my time. But I grew up watching football, but European football. But what I would watch over here in Canada is the women's national team. They've been 
prominent throughout my lifetime. And it was great to finally see the men's team kind of step up to the women's level and, you know, make a tournament like the World Cup. So it was great. But I'll be honest, going in, especially with the group Canada had, I mean, we're talking Morocco, Croatia and Belgium. It's very it's it's daunting. So I, I didn't have much faith that Canada were going to make it through, not because they were a bad team, but we're looking at the likes of their competitors. And I just thought, you know what? It's good that we got there and now we're hosting the next World Cup. So automatically in. So maybe 2026, we'll see them advance to the next stage. I think that would be great for the country. But it was really big. Like everyone kind of band together and it was exciting for everyone. You saw everyone getting like the Alfonso uh, Davies jersey. I luckily had one from a while ago, but sold out everywhere across the nation. It's exciting to see Canadians that don't necessarily watch football traditionally just kind of get on the bandwagon and support. And especially because of the time difference as well compared to Qatar waking up at like stupid o'clock in the morning for some of you guys as well. 3 a.m., 4 a.m. I remember that Saudi Arabia versus Argentina game. Argentina. For you guys, I think some of you guys had to wake up around 2 a.m., 3 a.m. just to watch the game as well. What was that that like for yourselves? Yeah, that would have been Vancouver because I was working the whole World Cup. So I was for the group stage, for the first two group stage matches in each group. So I think it was the first eight days of the World Cup. I was getting up at 4.30 because the first game was at 5. Yeah. And I'd watch the two first games at home, go to the studio to then watch the second two games. And I remember waking up so excited to watch Argentina and was sitting there at like 5.45 in the morning looking at the screen being like, surely I'm not seeing Saudi Arabia beat Argentina and Messi right now. That was an iconic game, I swear. And it, in a way, it kind of instigated that Argentina World Cup win to make that one star on my shirt to two stars eventually. So in a way, it's, that's probably how Argentina got a bit more motivated after being humiliated by Saudi Arabia as well. well and Sorry, I was just going to say, if you remember in 2010, because I'm like a diehard Spain fan, like that's my national Are you team. Spanish? Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's break it down because everyone always thinks I am. I'm Persian. So my dad is from Iran, but he immigrated to Canada, but he grew up watching Johan Cruyff in Barcelona. Yeah. So that's how the Barca thing kind of came to be. But then coincidentally, his sister, my aunt, immigrated to Barcelona. So I've been to Barcelona 14 times. That's where we would go when I was a kid. Just on the home. 14 times. That's, mad. Just that's the crazy. 14. Yeah. So it was where I you know, grew up going on holiday. We were lucky enough to go there. We had somewhere to stay. And you and- never supported Espanol. It's oh, always Barcelona. how dare you? <laughs> No, not with my dad being a Barca fan. Cause like he grew up in the Cruyff era. Like it was, he had his era. Then I had like the Messi area era. And then, I mean, all the players in between, but I, because that Barcelona team as well was half or if not more that Spanish national team in 2010, when they won, like I love following Spain. The only reason I was happy to see Argentina win was truly just Messi. If Messi wasn't on the team, I, there wouldn't really be any connection there, but no, I'm not Spanish, but they are the national team I do support. That's okay. Next time we do a podcast, we can speak in Arabic because I speak a bit of Arabic as well. So if you speak Arabic, we'll do an Arabic version of this podcast as well, <laughs> oh which, will, which will be crazy. How's your Arabic, Sarah? It's not good because in Iran we speak Farsi. <laughs> I'm so That's, sorry. It's okay. I'll have to get used to learning Farsi as well over the summer. It will be great. But I can um, speak Spanish if that does anything for you, though. I'll learn Spanish. I went to Spain and I had Google Translate just on my phone and I was just oh, telling, sorry. funny story, I was telling the taxi driver who's an Atletico Madrid fan, I was telling him that my friend hates all the Atletico Madrid players. I was saying, this guy is crap. 
he thinks this guy's crap and my friend was oblivious to the situation and I was just there like oh this is so funny because then he's just sitting there peacefully and then the taxi driver just looks over to him and is like why why do you not like my players yeah and then he's like I didn't say anything and then we just it just burst out laughing it's so oh, so funny so during your friend shout out to google translate though I, lo- I love that it was so funny that I got to do that as well but I'll bring out google translate for Farsi next time I think Sarah which would be, <laughs> it should be good fun but um one last thing about obviously Canadian football as well is the fact that obviously you are hosting the World Cup. You've got the Women's World Cup this summer as well um, in New Zealand and Australia. First question I want to ask you is how excited are you for being in the football media and in the soccer media in Canada that you're going to be one of the main kind of faces for a lot of local Canadians in and around kind of learning about football and soccer? And the second question, how excited are you for the Women's World Cup? Obviously with Canada and the USA going over to Australia and New Zealand. Are you looking forward to the Women's World Cup? Do you think you can kind of spring a bit of um, surprise in there as well, I should say? Uh, but yeah, first question was about um, how excited are you for 2026 and being obviously one of the main focuses of Canadian football? You know what? I It's strange because I don't think I'm the best person to ask because it is really exciting that Canada is partially hosting a World Cup. But with the new format, and I think it's going to be like 42 teams now, we're only hosting, I think, eight games in total across three cities. So I think Toronto's only going to get about three or four games. Most of the games are going to be in the United States and in the southern United States. So it doesn't really feel like it's just like Canada. Like we have a little bit of it. And it's great because then the national team qualifies. And I think that's what's more important, that we don't have to go through those qualifying games. But I'm also a bit concerned overall just for all the teams that are going to be participating because Mexico to Canada, it's quite a distance. And we've seen that, you know, when the Euros were, the last Euros were in like 10 nations all over the place. I know Europe as a continent is much smaller, but, you know, the fatigue players get, it's real. And there's three time zones to be traveling in. So it's going to be a little bit uh, interesting, I think. I'm a bit concerned about the travel and that, but I am really excited that Canada have, you know, their their foot in the door already and they'll be, they're in and they know that. So hopefully they get that out of the way and they can just focus on getting out of the group because that, that's the next step for us right now, you know? Definitely, uh, straight progress there as well for Canada. Yeah, and it is good that we are partially hosting it because I think it also just allows other nations to see Canada participating in you know such a global event as the World Cup but um yeah overall I think it should be good I think we need to do a lot in Canada to get ready for it I mean they're adding a bunch of seats to BMO Field which is Toronto's stadium I think they have to add like another 10,000 in uh, Vancouver and BC place they are still playing on turf so that's that's crazy which is insane i can't even the amount of injuries you get from it as well is crazy in europe i think basel and young boys in switzerland they still have it which is really really frustrating for a champions league game as well as you would kind of know if you had young boys or basel in a group most teams would not want to play them or the rest of them players in that team because astroturf is just painful and it could literally injure you for good two three four months or worse as we've seen unfortunately um by playing champions league football and astroturf um well, the only reason why Toronto actually changed there, because we were turf as well, was because Real Madrid came to Canada in 2017 and they said, we are not playing on this. So they said, all right, let's switch it out because we got to have Real Madrid here and, you know, obviously make a ton of money. But I'm happy it happened in the end because it's just such a backwards way of thinking, especially with the likes of 
Messi coming to MLS, I'm thinking like he's not going to go and play on on turf. There's no way. Oh, my days. I was at Inter Miami last year as well, um, watching Inter Miami versus Atlanta United. So two decent teams, I'd say, in the MLS last season. And I'm just kind of there thinking the quality that the MLS has, and in no disrespect, it's the so fact please. that it's one of those things that I think, you know what, um, this was our original topic for our listeners view. We were going to talk about the best place to go to the MLS and, and to Canada, but we've got a much better topic for you lined up uh, momentarily. We were, we were looking at it, me and a couple of my friends, and we were just kind of there like, Higuain, if he was in his heyday, he would just be killing this crazy, yeah. this crazy quality of seeing. You had DeAndre Yedlin, the USA international, obviously former Sunderland player, who was just running up and down that touchline. I'm like, this is crazy. And it's just about if Messi can kind of adapt to the plays that he's got, because it's going to be how, not really about how the players adapt to him. It's about how Messi adapts to the other players. Because I saw a I saw a video, it's probably a bit of an insulting video, may have been a joke about someone on like a, a USA news show saying, oh, David Beckham learned English for us. Messi will have to do the same. Did you see that clip? No, I didn't, but I'm really excited to hear. I'll have to send it to you. It's crazy. Yeah. So I was just kind of there, like, with the whole media thing that you get in the MLS and obviously with the Apple deal as well, they may expect Messi to be more of a more of a poster boy, more for the MLS, which is understandable and it's fair enough. But Messi in itself, as you and I know, is a poster boy in just the name, let alone the player, what he's doing in the media. It's these little things that I'm hoping, you know, Messi can adapt to properly and he'll be absolutely fine with, I think. But um that's just my point of view what about your point of view on Messi to Inter Miami yeah I was obviously dreading it because I mean we I was thinking he was coming home and then I'm hearing I was booking my flights to Barcelona after seeing the the thing I was like I want to see him in Barcelona I want to see him at the new camp let's go I need to see him but yeah it wasn't the case yeah I mean I'm really lucky because I've seen Messi at the new camp several times I've seen Messi and Ronaldo and an El Clasico at new camp which is just like I, I, honestly, I'm so grateful because I'm seeing... What was the scoreline in that? So actually, it was the Supercopa España. It was in August. Real Madrid won. It was 1-0, I believe. But Cristiano Ronaldo got sent off oh, with, okay. a red, with a red card. So it was like, it was a loss. And I was so pissed. But it was such a... like To see things like that. Like, I've seen Messi score a free kick there. I've seen Suarez and Neymar score. I've seen Ronaldo been sent off. So it's still one of those things where it's like, yeah, I'm fuming because we lost to Madrid. But it was still, like, crazy to see Ronaldo get sent off. It's one of those things you don't really expect to see. Was that when he was in the blue kit as well? Yeah, that's when he held up his shirt after Messi did Uh, him. Yeah, yeah, doing that at the new camp. See you later. But um, yeah, listen, I completely agree though with what you say uh, said about Messi having to adjust to his players because when I'm watching uh, Toronto with the likes of Insigne and Bernadeschi, players that have played in Europe at high level for an Italian national team as well, there are sometimes plays where they are looking for a player to make the run and their players aren't doing it. Like they're thinking so much more ahead and it's, I'm sure it's so frustrating for them, but then you're comparing them to Messi. It's like, how is he going to be able to do this? But apparently if they're bringing Jordi Alba, Busquets and Luis Suarez, it might not be so bad. I'll make another trip to Miami. I got I know a few people there, so hopefully I'll be able to get somewhere to stay as well. And obviously with Insigne and Bernadeschi, European champions for Italy as well. So it goes to show you've got the European champions with Italy back in 2020 playing in the MLS, having such a really good way of developing themselves and obviously growing the game. Messi will grow football in Miami, I think, tenfold compared to what 
um, Insigne has done in Toronto. That's just my opinion as well, because you're looking at it and you're thinking, you're kind of thinking like if everyone in, in, because how I see it in the, in the American kind of system is if you are in the USA or in Canada, you would love to just go to Miami for one game for a weekend to watch them play just to see Lionel Messi because you don't really see that kind of away culture because obviously the, the country's huge. Canada's huge. Mexico's huge. But because he's on that part of the world, he's, he's in that kind of area where you can go in. Miami's a great place to kind of go visit for a week or so. I'm sure people from Atlanta, I'm sure people from Los Angeles, Toronto, hint, hint there, Sarah, would go to into Miami to go watch Lionel Messi play. Um in Miami as well. I think I think that would be a big thing for them as well, bringing in tickets and selling out tickets as well. I think so too, but I don't know if you're aware of how expensive Miami is. I was just there. Ext- about- extremely. Don't worry. I, I, I'm still paying back some of the, yeah. the, the the things from last year when I went to Miami. I'm just like, this is crazy how no, expensive it is. No, it's crazy for us as well because the Canadian dollar is also so weak that when we convert it to American, it's like double. It's almost like the pound for us. And... If you saw, there was a post about how since Messi have joined, has joined Inter Miami, tickets have skyrocketed from like 80 bucks American to like 420. So it's going to be a circus. I think my concern is that Messi came out yesterday and said that he's not going to be participating in the 2026 World Cup as of right now. So we know the Copa America is next year yeah. in the US. So I'm thinking, all right, he might play, what, half the rest of the season with Inter Miami, maybe next year. But okay, then what, he leaves? What is it going to look like? Is it going to bring all... Are, is everyone that's here for the messy hype going to stay after that? And I think that's the biggest concern for MLS because we've seen Beckham come over. We've seen Ibra, uh, Thierry Henry, David Villa, Pirlo. And like for myself even, I would go to the Toronto games to see David Villa with my Spain shirt or Titi or Pirlo, whomever. But Thank you I'm, for not saying Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard. I like you already for omitting them as well. Thank you for missing them out. I went to see Bax. I did go to see Bax, to be fair. I'll happily take David Beckham. Great shot. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's about making that audience stick around. And that's been something I think MLS are struggling with, along with the Apple subscription, because they, they don't have subs right now. No one's paying for the Apple subscription. It, it Unless it's everything. for Ted Lasso. Unle- no, it is. And I cancelled mine when the show ended. <laughs> I haven't even started watching it yet. Everyone's saying, Hamza, you're a football host. Why have you not watched Ted Lasso? And I'm just like, I'll oh wait for God. it to, I'll just binge, I'll binge it on like a flight somewhere or something. Three seasons, I'll, I'll get it done. It'll be good for uh, well. It's It's actually class. And as the seasons go on, if they incorporate more like actual football tactics and terms, like Pep Guardiola makes a cameo in the third season, class. Ooh, that'll be good. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing that, which would be great fun as well. But no, excellent conversation there with Messi. For the record, I've seen Messi get knocked out by Chris Smalling at Old Trafford, which is quite wow. funny. Um, yeah, and then, then uh, Messi fought Scott McTominay did it and he was angry at McTominay for the rest of the game, which is quite funny as well. Um, and then I've seen Messi in Milan against Inter Milan. That was iconic. And oh, then that's I've, amazing. When yeah, was this? What year? 2019, I think. I think when they had Inter Milan and Barcelona, they, yeah. 2018 and 2019, two years in a row, they had yeah. um, them in the group stages, which was really cool. And then I've seen Messi and Ronaldo on the same pitch for a friendly where Argentina played Portugal back in 2014, I think. I think Di Maria scored the winning goal or something. So it was something odd like that, which is crazy. But yeah, no, this is this is literally why everyone's tuning in for this podcast, because we are going to be doing an all-time Lionel Messi team 
versus an all-time Cristiano Ronaldo team. And we're not really going to spoil it, but I think everyone kind of knows where the win is going. But we've kind of got really good teams between us as well. So we're going to go from back to front, goalkeeper, four mid, four defenders, three midfielders, three strikers, including our player, Messi or Ronaldo. So, sorry, obviously, being the one wearing the Argentina shirt, I will let you be the one picking Lino Messi. So I'll, I'll make sure that... Well, I was never going to let you pick Ronaldo. I feel like you just quit the Zoom call and be like, yep, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what it is? I was going through this today while I was at work and I was thinking like, we are... It doesn't matter what we say because these teams are going to be fantastic. Yeah. I was struggling. Like you're going between two world-class players for one position. You're like, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's going to be amazing. But you look at both of these players and you realize, oh my goodness, they have played with the best of the best. And their longevity in Europe as well. Exactly. And then you bring in the national team and it's just like, oh, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely crazy. I'm looking forward to this. Everyone play, uh, play along at home as you're listening to this as well. Um, Sarah, I'll let you go first with your goalkeeper for Lionel Messi. Who are we going for? Okay, already a tough decision. I was so tough, it. so tough. But I, I, because I know we spoke earlier in the day and we said we're going to base it on their prime, the players in their prime. And I think that's the way to do it. But I actually chose Marc-Andre Ter Stegen over Victor Valdez, which would have been my close second because of this season, because yeah. of what he did for Barcelona, the most clean sheets, I think 27 clean sheets this season. Insane. Like he really cemented the, what his importance is to this team. And he's such a leader on the team as well. And Victor Valdez, who I loved, like he's Catalan, he would die for the badge, but a bit of a hothead as well, where I think Ter Stegen kind of brings that cool, calm collectiveness where he's able to mellow out the team more instead of hyping them up. Cause there's a few other guys on this list that are definitely going to cause chaos. So, yeah, so because of that, I went to Stegen, which is weird because it's like there are so many to choose from. But because I was thinking Messi's played with, you know, Valdez, Claudio Bravo, Donnarumma, Kaylor Navas. Like he's played with such good keepers. None of them Argentinian, though, I will say, besides Debo Martinez, because Sergio Romero back in the day was just miserable. Yeah, it was not great, Sergio Romero. Greatest backup keeper in the world for Manchester United once upon a time, but never great for a starting lineup, especially in a World Cup final in 2014 um, as well. But great shout there. I've got a bit of a... Tr- um, actually, before Where's that... Where's the stuff? Mine's tough, but before that, one question for you, being a Barca fan as well. Do you think er- um, Ter Stegen has eclipsed Victor Valdez's legacy at Barcelona by being a greater keeper? I think now he has. I think especially, like I said, after the season, I really do think like he's cemented his name. And I think the thing is, as I said before, because he's not that crazy guy who's always getting involved in stuff, you might forget him slightly. And that's not a bad thing. But Victor Valdez was always, always involved in everything, especially, you know, with him and Guardiola and Puyol. Like this whole team was, it was, it was a lot. So I think for Ter Stegen, you just kind of forget about how good he is. But Honestly, since I think year two or three at Barcelona, I was saying he should be getting a good shout at Germany. Like I know Manuel Neuer, like in his prime was fantastic, but I do think Ter Stegen got a bit shafted on the national team. I would say so as well. I mean, obviously Neuer had that injury, unfortunately, um, in that second part of this season as well. So hopefully this will be his time to actually just dominate for the rest of the time in the German national side for uh, Martin Stegen as well. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can bring going forward. Um, I'm going to need your help for this one, Sarah. I can't lie. I've got, I've got three. I've got three. I've got Edwin van der Sar, as you know, being a Man United fan, a biased choice um, for me. I've got Gianluigi Buffon, 
who, as you know, one of the greatest keepers we've ever seen in our lifetime. And then we've got Iker Casillas, another, ama- well, three amazing, great goalkeepers we've seen. Um, my first choice would be Van der Sar. Won the first Champions League with him. Did it around 40 years of, um, of age as well. Great goalkeeper. But I will, I will need some help with this. Where do you think we should go with this one, Sarah? See, it's funny because I think I would have nearly gone like Gigi Casillas van der Sar, but that's also my Spanish bias coming through because Casillas won that Euro World Euro back to back to back and then started that, you know, Madrid in the Champions League, you know, that dominance. He was there for the beginning of it. Yeah, um, back in 2002, he was there. It was like an 18, 19-year-old keeper as well, which is crazy. Yeah, so, so I don't know. I, I, I think Casillas for me, but that being said, when you think about who are the best keepers of all time, Gianluigi Buffon is... When, when you think of the word keeper, yeah. who comes to mind? It's Buffon. That's exactly why. Like, I think you have to go Gigi. Also because he's still playing. And just like, just you, you enjoy just seeing the fact that, I don't know, he's able to play. He's so athletic. He's so smart with the way he plays. And he's, no matter where he was playing, he was so important for that team. And also has always shown his passion as well. That 2006 World Cup campaign was iconic for him um, as well. And the fact that he moved the same summer that Ronaldo joined Juventus and then moved back because he wanted to play Ronaldo, I'll happily give this to Joan Luigi Buffon um, in gold as well. So all great keepers. I don't think anyone would be offended if we picked Joan Luigi Buffon. So Buffon for me in goal. Um, let's go right to left. So first right back, who are we going with? It's a pretty obvious answer, isn't it, Sarah? Yeah, and it pains me to say it because it might be controversial now, but it is Danny Alves. There's nobody. Oh, you're shaking your head. I'm just glad. I'm just glad you never went for Jonas Gutierrez. If you remember in the <laughs> 2010 World Cup, left winger Jonas Gutierrez was playing as a right back under Diego Maradona to try and help Messi get the best out of him. That was chaotic. That was a bad time. Yeah, for Argentina there when Maradona was the coach, like it pained me to see, but that was just dark. There was so much going on with that team, and I mean, oh, I know he was trying to make it as a as a coach over there, and it would have been such a good story, but it really wasn't in the end. So um, so bad seeing that happen, but yeah, yeah, I'm glad you got the right choice. It was an obvious choice as well. Talk to me about Dani Alves as well. And what he meant to you as a Barcelona fan? You know what? Before all of this happened and it's terrible you know and I it's it's so sad to you know see what happens to people and whatnot but Danny Alves was one of my favorite players like he was so it seemed like kind and friendly but such a strong and like diehard player I saw him yeah like he would get racially abused in Spain and he there was there was a scene where he's taking a corner kick for Barcelona and someone in the stands in Spain, not at the Camp Nou, but away, threw a banana at him. And he takes the banana, peels it, and eat, takes a bite out of it. And I was like, you, sir, like, that is class. Like, that is just, I'm not going to let the haters get to me. And it was just amazing to see his link-up game with Messi was also maybe the best link-up game between Messi and another player. It was, they were able to... That's a bold play, more than Iniesta and Messi. Could be Iniesta, also Jordi Alba, amazing as well. But I think so. Like the way Danny Alves would use that right flank and just fly up it and find Messi no matter what. The thing is with Iniesta and Messi is they're always playing much closer, I think, to each other. Yeah. Where Alves would have to make the run or he's playing on the flank, so it's a bit further. But 
it was incredible. And we have to still mention that now Messi is only now is Messi tied with Alves for winning the most trophies by any footballer. Like Danny Alves won everything wherever he went. From Sevilla as well, winning the Europa League with Sevilla before even moving to Barcelona and winning the Champions League and the La Ligas going forward. I think winning an Olympic medal as well, which a lot of people in Europe look down upon, but in South America, it's revered upon as a really big medal as well. So always got to shout out Danny Alves for being an Olympic gold medalist as well. well, Yeah, America, insane talent that he had. Um, I'm not sure how I can beat this. The only way I can beat the only way I can beat this is, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna put Sergio Ramos right back for me. Wow. Okay. I just know Ronaldo's had better, a lot more quality at centre back than he has at right back. I'm not going for Gary Neville here. Come on now, it's not gonna happen at all. Um, and I'm not going for Lichtsteiner or Quadrado at Juventus respectively. Paulo Ferreira right back at um, Portugal. Now nah, Sergio Ramos right back for me. Amazing. Uh, captain leader legend as well especially for Spain um, yeah. going forward from 2008 again to 2012 the free peak that they had amazing defender and I'm looking forward to seeing who we've got centre-backs because there's two obvious choices for you but I'm wondering if you've got a third or a sneaky fourth that you might change the back um, for this well, one speaking of Sergio Ramos that's who I have as one of my centre-backs because oh, no. of uh, because of the player he is not necessarily because him and of him and Messi, but everything that you just said. Sorry, what do you want to say? No, I was going to say because it's a it's kind of a draft. So because I pick the player, you can't then pick the player separately. All right, well. fine, good. I have I have backups. All right, we'll start then. We'll go Carlos Puyol, hundred percent. Amazing. Carlos Puyol, die for the Blaugrana. This guy was maybe what five six, but was so speedy, and he'll come from behind and just take you out. As even if you're a you know. 6-3 Van Persie whomever you may be but he will get you and he was really like a brick wall not to mention that he was there when Barcelona won that 0809 treble with Guardiola and Messi like that was such a vintage Barcelona team him um, versus Didier Drogba in the semi-finals as well that was a really good battle that he won and I think yeah. he was suspended for the final as well I think I think he was um, against Manchester United so it goes yeah. to show how well he really had to do um, against this Chelsea side and like you said against bigger and tougher opposition to keep them in the game and he did really well in that semi-final mostly the second leg where I still think Barcelona got away with a few handball decisions if VAR was oh, happening oh, now if VAR was happening now it would have been different but that's another topic for another conversation on another day we're not, we won't go down that rabbit hole um, but yeah Puyol amazing choice as well and did you ever get the, the luxury of watching Carlos Puyol play and if so what was your favourite moment watching him play uh, in the stadium yeah. My first game that I saw Barcelona would have been in like 2014. Oh my goodness. It's like, it's all a blur now. But yeah, that was uh, Puyol, Pique, Alves, Alba, Messi, like, you know, Xavi and Iniesta Busquets. Like it was, it was kind of just at the end of that era. Cause I think Puyol had just was leaving a year or two after that. So yeah. It was just able to see those guys. And I mean, I can't remember specifically anything that he did, but the presence that he left on that pitch, like he was one of our best captains, I think as well. Cause I know like Xavi, Busi, Iniesta, Messi were all captains, but I still think Puyol was really like the epitome of what a captain is on a team. Definitely. No, great shot there with um, Carlos Puyol. Um, my first center back, I'm going to go a bit, 
I'm, I'll go a bit biased. I'm going to go for Rio Ferdinand with this one as well. Shock. <laughs> yeah, shock with this one. I could have gone for one or the other from his amazing centre-back partners that he had at Manchester United. But I just remember Rio Ferdinand saying it at the time, and he says it now working in the media, about how when he's working with young Cristiano Ronaldo, he was always him, Gary Neville, Roy Keane, um, they were all going about their business and they were always telling Ronaldo, make sure you toughen up in this league, make sure you toughen up, you bulk up and you become a better presence as a winger as opposed to just doing skills and tricks on the wing, not really crossing the ball or uh, contributing with goals and assists. And I, feel, I really like that in a leader, the fact that he was honest about it and the fact that he then helps him become one of the best players. And you've seen so many talented players, both from our team and from your team as well, respectively, Sarah, who come into the team look like they can become the next big thing and then they just fall off because of the mentality drop or the lack of quality that they have in persistence and training and consistency um, as well. More so with Man United than with Barcelona respectively in modern t- in recent times. But um, yeah, I'm going to go for Rio Ferdinand in my Ronaldo all-time 11. Who's yours? Yeah, I like that as well though because I think the uh, the connection they had was was really good as well. And I think especially because it was like a young Ronaldo too that that was such a important stage in his career so i, I I'll, I'll give you that i'll give you as the united fans the real part of that no i appreciate that who's your second choice for your center backs well we are going both barcelona and argentina with javier mascherano um, I'm, I'm glad you picked him honestly i'm glad you picked him because he's a very slept on midfielder and defender and as much as i don't particularly like him being a former liverpool player as well you have to respect the work that is done in the professional game as well do you know what? Javier Mascherano is like the epitome of one of those players that you hate to play against, but you love when he's on your team because he is, he's dirty, he's gritty, he'll come for you, he'll dive, he'll cause the problems, but the pace on that guy was unmatched. And yeah, I mean, him and Puyol back in the day, like, I mean, that was just before, I guess, PK had really solidified his spot there. But I mean, the fact that they have the national PK team... PK came like, before Mascherano. Sorry, you know, you're right, you're right. And then PK just kind of stayed through and became someone that I can't really, I tolerate anymore. I found as PK stayed throughout, that's why I actually didn't pick him, was he was such a, it seemed like, asshole on and off the pitch. Like, he had a lot of issues with the national team as well, and it was causing controversy. And I don't know, I just, there were rumors that he was one of the players that kicked Messi out. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot going on if, with him. That, if, if, that's, if that's true, that's just insulting. If you're one of the players at Barcelona who kicked Messi out for the sake of money, that's embarrassing. Yeah. Crazy. He just had a lot of drama around him, whereas I think these other guys, like it was like, I'm just focusing on the player and it made it mm. so much easier to pick these guys because then I don't have to deal with that. So, yeah, Mache, the Barcelona connect, the national team connect, and I'll never forget... When was it? The 2014 World Cup where Argentina made it to the finals against Germany and lost out in like the 117th minute to that Mario Goze goal. But that Argentinian team was not good. Let's be honest. They weren't. Messi helped carry that team. And who else? Mascherano. Like those were really the two standout players there. You had players like, you know, Di Maria with injuries, Aguero with injuries. They weren't consistent goalie as we spoke about Romero so I think Mache as well like for Messi they also have that connection of club and country and yeah I think he's agreed I agree with you I think he's a really slept on defensive player I think if Di Maria was fit for the final Argentina would have walked over that Germany side that's just my opinion 
but they always but they always get injured between him Aguero Tevez Higuain Messi always was losing another forward that he needed to play with and it was a constant thing that's been happening since like 2008 yeah always yeah. been always been li- literally let down by the fatigue in the side it's because they're always overplaying these attacking players we saw that in the 2018 World Cup getting knocked out so early against France in the round of 16 yeah. uh, which was crazy um Really good choice of Mascherano. I'm going to go to Juventus. And like we said, because we are doing it in their primes, I can't really ignore Giorgio Chiellini um, for my second centre-back. So you've got Rio Ferdinand right centre-back, Chiellini left centre-back, both warriors, both captains, both leaders, both and both massive. legends. It's, they're not going to touch Messi. That's all I'm saying. If, Messi, <laughs> if Messi's a number 10, then they're still not getting to him. That's all I'm saying. I was going to go for Pepe being the Portugal and the Real Madrid connection, but... I feel, I feel like, you know what, with, with the poise and the grace and the class of Giorgio Chiellini, minus the Bukayo Saka pullback from the shirt, I'm still not forgiving him for that um, in the Euros final. Um, fantastic player and did so well. I remember going to watch, I think one of my first international games was England versus Italy under 21s. And I saw a young Giorgio Chiellini play one of his first Italian games as well, which is crazy. And then fast forward until the 2020 Euros, I see Giorgio Chiellini against Spain in the semi-finals back at Wembley. So I kind of had that full circle moment with the start of Chiellini's career and the almost end of his Italian career as well. So I really do appreciate Chiellini for the longevity and the bravery that is kind of dictated. And like Jose Mourinho said, probably not one of your favourite managers, Sarah. He could actually talk about defending at Harvard University, knowing so much about it and dictating so much about his game across to so many different people as well. But yeah, Giorgio Chiellini, Rio Ferdinand, Sergio Ramos, three of my back four. Who's your no, left I back? Like, I like the Chiellini before I get into it, especially because you brought up Pepe, because I will never forgive Pepe for stomping on Messi's foot in, Cla- in El Clasico just to do it. Like The thing is with Pepe is he's a great defender, but he's so horrible to other footballers. that So yeah, wild. There's no class. There's no yeah. class. So I completely give Chiellini all the class. And if you're thinking defenders... I mean, you got to squeeze an Italian in there, right? Like, it only makes sense. Yeah, you got to go. It's not even a diversity thing as well. It's the fact that you could go for Chiellini, Bonucci, Ferdinand Vidic, Ramos, Pepe, Varane, even. But you kind of go for Chiellini more times than not. I would say probably number one choice after Sergio Ramos, but we put Ramos at right back. So uh, Chiellini, Ferdinand, and Ramos is looking quite good. Looking it's forward looking, to looking quite big, yeah. Um, they're still so, not going to stop Messi, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, on the left side, shock who's it going to be? Jordi Alba, of course. As I mentioned earlier, the link up play between these two is maybe next to Danny Alves, some of the best we've seen. And they've also played, I'd say, the longest between Messi and any other left back kind of there. We look at players like, I mean, Hakiki, oh my god, excuse me, Hakimi, <laughs> who he's playing with now or just was great player but not on the Jordi Alba level and at in Argentina I mean their defense has Tagliafico Marcus Rojo rotating all the time even back to the Jonas Gutierrez thing as well playing Mm -hmm. players out of position to try and like try and help this uh, young Lino Messi but it didn't happen until that's the thing there was no consistent player in the back for them as well I mean at Argentina in general there's not many consistent players um, so, I mean, who else can it be? Looking back before him, Eric Abidal, who was great, but Alba is a better left back, let's be honest. And, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really think there's much to say about this. Has to be Jordi. 
Yeah, if you're going to go for Jordi Alba, I'm going to go, again, the most straightforward decision in Marcelo. Um, yes, me okay, because I would have given you the business if you hadn't picked him. <laughs> straightforward. Marcelo is one of the greatest modern left-backs we've ever seen in our generation. You can be a Barcelona fan and still appreciate him for what he's done for the game, how he's developed what a modern fullback looks like as well, and the fact that he's done so well for Real Madrid and Brazil over the years as well. I've loved the fact that we've grown up in an era where kind of followed on from Cafu and Roberto Carlos. He kind of carried that mantle moving forward and has definitely done them proud in terms of being attacking fullbacks who can contribute with goals and assists consistently week in, week out for club and for country. And there's no one really that kind of comes close to that. Patrice Evra, I'll give a shout out because I thought he's fantastic at Manchester United, but there's levels between Marcelo and anyone else in this list for left-backs um, for me yeah, as well. Yeah, the way Marcelo would find these guys in the box, like his crossing was just unbelievable like as you mentioned as a Barca fan when I watched Real Madrid when Marcelo was there he was one of the main reasons I did because he's so exciting to watch and he's brilliant I bet you weren't supporting him though when you were at the ground though. you, you had to appreciate him from, you had to appreciate him from later on 24 hours later on just in case I sometimes do that sometimes I'm at a game and I'm watching like being a Man United fan watching someone like Harry Kane doing really well and I'm like oh, damn it it's so good but you can't do it in a stadium because you're just kind of there like, nah, it's looking, it's looking a bit suspect there. I, th- I can't I can't appreciate them in the ground. Got to wait for it till later on. Uh, this is going to be the toughest one for me. Midfield, midfield free. I think yours may be a bit easier than mine, respectively. Um, your first choice centre midfielder. So you can do it however you want. One defensive midfielder, two defensive midfielders, three centre mids, two attacking mids, however you want to do it, Sarah. Uh, yeah, I think it. this one was actually the easiest for me, midfielders. I mean, we'll start off with who else but Xavi, of course, yep. has to be um, one of the best midfielders of football, period. I think he's able to see his vision was just incredible. He saw things that I feel like as a fan, as a viewer, we were, I'd have to go back and watch and be like, where is he? How did he figure that out? Those through balls, those crosses. And then, of course, I think he was truly him and the next, you know, we all know who it's going to be, but they are such influences to Lionel Messi and who he is and the player that he is and the way he plays. I mean, it's just unfair. Like Barcelona during that period was just ridiculous. It's one of those things that if you didn't pick Xavi, I would be <laughs> insulted for inviting you on the podcast wearing that Barcelona shirt. So it's one of those things that you have to pick Xavi. Mine's yeah. a bit difficult though, because I've got, I'm going to have a lot of honorable mentions at the end of this one as well, but we okay. have to try and fix seven into four, eight into three. Um, okay. First one is going to be a personal choice. So, you know, I'm going to pick a personal choice and I'm going to pick Paul Scholes um, for this one as well. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Paul Scholes had to be in there. When you've got, Iniesta making quotes. I think he says something like, without a doubt, my biggest regret in football is not playing with Paul Scholes. When Iniesta says that, yeah. and he's saying one day at La Masia, Frank Reich had put a poster up of Paul Scholes or a picture up of Paul Scholes watching the highlights. And when you've got young Messi, young Xavi, young Iniesta all watching Paul Scholes, it's the fact that I can't not put him in the team because he was someone who had the vision and a team that kind of was blinded in this Manchester United side for a good number of years. And a lot of times, Rex Ferguson will always be like, you've got to pass it to Skulls to get the ball forward because no one else could really do that in the Manchester United side. And it's really nice of him because the fact that with Paul Skulls, even though I don't really like him in the media at the moment because we never really saw him in the media uh, as a player, the fact that he used to be like a number 10, like an attacking midfielder behind a striker, 
Then he had a bit of an injury with his eye and then he reverted back to being a number eight, a deep line playmaker as you would. And it worked really well for him sometimes. And especially when Ronaldo was coming through, it worked so well for him uh, moving forward. But one last quote I'll give you is from Zinedine Zidane. So my toughest opponent was Paul Scholes of Manchester United. He is the complete midfielder. And if I can't have the complete midfielder in my all-time Manchester uh, Real Madrid Portugal team for Cristiano Ronaldo, I would be robbing myself of this. So yeah, Paul Scholes has to be in this team for me. He's one of the best English footballers ever. I mean, like I don't think he even gets enough credit maybe for what he did and the way he played because I think it's also, it's a bit interesting how other nations look at English football because they usually don't look at it at, with as much respect as maybe it deserves sometimes. But I do think Paul Scholes is one of those players that always gets, you know, the respect from these players. And you're talking about the likes of, you know, Rijkaard, Iniesta, Zizou. So it, it only makes sense to me. And yeah, yeah, no, we'll not fault you for that choice at all. <laughs> and Xavi said that as well. Xavi said over the last 15 to 20 years in football, Paul Scholes was the complete midfielder. So for Xavi, Zidane to all kind of say that and Iniesta to say that, that's high yeah. praise. So I'll happily take Paul Scholes in this one. Um, choice number two, are you going to go defensive or attacking with this one, Sarah? Um, I think I'm going to go... I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to play these three. Well, we know... Should we just go with the obvious choice and we know that I'm going to say Iniesta and then maybe yeah, when yeah. I the third one, I can move them around a bit. Just Gives you time to think, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, I think it'll he'll have to end up moving over to the left anyways. But that's fine because Iniesta, you know, the Ray Hudson would always refer to him as the illusionista. Always, you know, creating these insane plays and passes and runs and just it it doesn't it didn't even make sense watching Andres Iniesta play football and again another influential player to Lionel Messi you see little glimpses of the Xavi of the Iniesta when Messi plays and it's one of those things where you also wonder would Messi be playing the way he is playing if those two weren't his teammates at such a crucial moment in his career um I don't think anyone can say that Iniesta's again isn't one of the best if not maybe the best midfielder of all time he's definitely I'd say top three so yeah, yeah I mean he was also there for that Spanish three-peat like you mentioned just starring you know, role in 2010 as well when winning well, the winning, winning the World Cup. against the Netherlands taking off his shirt and having the Danny Harke message which was also just lovely I mean I was losing my marbles I was with my dad and we were in a pub and we we're just screaming and it was great but um don't worry yeah. I scream I scream in Spanish as well I say vamos I'm, I'm <laughs> I watch cricket normally as well and I'll shout vamos when I'm watching cricket and you've got people around me saying why are you speaking Spanish for I'm like it's just it's just, it just needs to be no, it, it sounds better in Spanish that's all I'm saying than it does in English instead of going yes. come on or what what people say in England I'm like nah shout vamos it's always good it's, it's so, always so good. No, I love that. Yeah. I mean, again, I feel like I've not given much to Shabby and Iniesta because I don't really feel like they need, there's not really much to be said. It's just quite obvious. And they are two of the best midfielders that have ever played the game. And they played it with Messi as well. One from me then, just uh, to tie up Iniesta, your favorite moment watching Iniesta in a stadium. Oh God. Got you thinking though. Yeah. There was, it it was the game where MSN was playing, where I saw MSN play and Iniesta was still there. And, you know, you knew Iniesta was kind of slowly on his way out, just kind of getting older. But it was the way that he was basically the pivot. He had the three of those guys. Imagine the three of those guys up front and just 
it wasn't something specific again, but it was the way that he kind of controlled the entire game, like his influence again. But the passes he would make to these guys was just like, and you're just watching so close to them as well, thinking, how does he see this? It's just, it's, it's insane. He's so, oh, just magic. That's the only word I can think about when I think about Iniesta is magic. Definition of liquid football when you're watching him as well. I still remember that. It's a random thing that I remember, but it was an away game against Spartak Moscow. And there's like three Spartak Moscow players in the corner. And you're like, surely not, surely not, surely not. And he just weaves his way out, does everything you think he's not going to do because you think they've finally got him. They don't score from that attack though, but it's just the fact you see moments of brilliance like that. Liquid football from Andres Iniesta, an amazing pick as well. Um, well, you brought up, sorry, the link up as well with Messi. I mean, he would always have those little chips over the defensive line and you'd see Messi scurrying through everyone. And then to get that little tap in, like those plays were just, oh, it, it really, it's, this is why we love the game, honestly. <laughs> Can you do his famous skill, the La Croqueta? I wish I could. I wish I could. I'm not. I'm not that good. I'm, maybe I can give it a go next time I'm playing footy. I do play still, but that's it's tricky. Can you do it? Can yeah, do I can it well? do it. It's one of my. Uh, it's one of my favorite skills because it's so easy to teach as well. Because I'm a football coach as well as just a, well, I play football, but it's so easy to do. And when you've got the drop of the shoulder, it's so yeah. nice when you can do that as well. And, and you're just like weaving off, and it's so. That's what I love about when you're watching Barcelona as well. You've got so many players that have amazing skill, talent, but they're not like you would see doing amazing trickery. They just do the basic skills really, really, really well. And that's what you see in Messi. That's what we've seen in Xavi. That's what we've seen in Busquets, especially as well, and Andres Iniesta uh, moving forward. So, yeah, next time you do it, record it, and I need to see how it is. It's okay, gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna be good fun. Um, <laughs> Mine's a tricky one. I have some iconic midfielders to choose from, from, from Portugal, from Real Madrid, from Juventus. Um, but his longevity at Real Madrid was crazy. So I'm going to kind of follow your suit. I'm going to pick someone who I know will be in this midfield because I can save my last pick because I can think about it. I'm going to go for Luka Modric. Modric yeah. and Skulls in that midfield will definitely compete with Xavi and Iniesta at this moment in time. Um, I really need to talk about Luka Modric as well because Luka Modric, if you remember way back when, could have been a Barcelona player, which would have been insane. Could you imagine Xavi, Modric, Iniesta in that midfield three? That would have been iconic to see. It would have been unfair nearly. But you wonder then what would have happened with Sergio Busquets. Iniesta may just have to have been a left midfielder at the end of the day and then it would have to be something like that. Double no, pivot. but Modric has some of that like high IQ when you think about footballers. Like he's so smart when you see him play. And that's the thing. You look at so many footballers and they might be super talented or super technical, but they might not be, do you know, like have that soccer IQ. Absolutely. Not- so like you were talking about the MLS players earlier as well. When they're playing with these players that have played in Europe and these European championships, they may not have that idea to run beyond the defender or come in short or do when, anything they need to kind of do. So Luka Modric has that in tenfold. And I think his the players around him improved. Definitely Rodrigo over the last few years watching him at Real Madrid and definitely Vinicius Jr. And I think we kind of saw that, dare I say it, in Gareth Bale when he moved to Real Madrid, working with Luka Modric again, like they did back in Spurs. And it goes to show how well Luka Modric can influence, kind of like Iniesta influence the team just by his presence in the midfield. And it shows how well he's done um, for his career as well. And I still can't believe until 27 years old, he was playing at Tottenham Hotspur. 
What do you mean? A top six team in the Premier League? They were not top six at the time. They had one they had they're, one they're top four top position. They are yeah. not top six again. It is Yeah. Biggest overhyped team I've ever seen in my life, Tottenham Hotspur. And that's from a London as well, swimming from North London. I, I have lots of Spurs fans listening to this, so I know they'll get a bit annoyed at me saying this. Um, but yeah, Luka Modric is definitely my team, partnering up with Paul Scholes as well. Um, where are we going? Defensive or attacking for your last midfielder? Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to have to be like a holding kind of mid because I think I'm going to... There's so many here, but no, we're going to lock it in. Yeah, yeah. Ray. Great shot. Uh, yeah. There were, you know, I'll, I'll quickly give the shouts to Boosie, of course, Fabregas, Deco, remember yes. that? Verati even at PSG. But uh, Yaya Toure, again, was one of those. I mean, growing up, like, I feel like our generation, he was such an influential player. He had the physicality. He was that massive guy in the middle of the pitch. He used it. It was brilliant. And one thing that I feel like we forget about a lot of the time, but I think it was the 2010 World Cup, that Ivory Coast team, Yaya Toure, Kolo, Didier Jogba, Solomon Kalou, that was legendary for African football. And just it the really fact was. that he was part of it. And then, yeah, this was, you know, early messy days at Barcelona, you know, Samuel Eto'o kind of days. But it, it's just, he really was one of, I think, the best footballers. Maybe that him and Messi didn't play like their primes together. Well, I think Yaya Toure in that middle is just, you, you can't, you can't miss him. And, especially and he, played, he played centre-back against Man United in the Champions League final as well in 2009. Shows yeah. the, well, the diversity that he could play in as well. He could play in so many different positions and he just dominated when he came to the Premier League. I think it took him two seasons to kind of acclimatise properly. Then he just took it on for the next four or five years. And in my opinion... He should have been one of the few people that had a statue outside the Etihad Stadium. You've got a Sergio Aguero statue, a Vincent Company statue, and a David Silva statue. Yaya Torre, before all of them, and well, him and company, I should say, were the kind of ones that kind of brought Man City up and up and up and up. And he definitely deserves his flowers, if not from Manchester City, but definitely from us as well. Amazing, talented footballer that we've seen um, yeah, as well. And I think it gives this team a bit more of a uh, just. In case you have corners and free kicks and you need a target man in there. Yeah, that's you. exactly what I'm trying. Versatility, there's the word, because I'm so far there my team, very, very small guys. And I think if you have Xavi and Iniesta and him kind of as the pivot in the middle and they can go run up and he can hold it back. And yeah, you, you need that big guy. But no, I completely agree. Him at him at City was just incredible, incredible footballer. Amazing, yeah. amazing guy, Yaya Torre is. Um I'm going to go opposite to what I was going to do. I was going to go for a defensive one. So a few shout outs from me, Casemiro, Tony Cruz. Um, I was going to go for, yeah, Casemiro, Tony Cruz, Meza Ozil, Xabi Alonso. Oh my God. Roy Keane, Michael Carrick. Um, those are the kind of six I'll give a shout out to. But my, my player, I'm going to go attacking and I'm going to go for Kaka. That's my wow. attacking midfielder. So I'm going for Ballon d'Or winner Kaka 2007. The the one player before the the aliens that we're talking about, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo took over from winning the Ballon d'Or from 2008 all the way until 2018 with Luka Modric, the next person to win it after Messi and Ronaldo. So I've got to go for Ricardo Kaka because I know if I need to compete against your team, I need someone with a bit of grace and a bit of poise, someone who can dominating the midfield as well from just taking the ball from his goalkeeper running all the way through the pitch as well 
And someone with a bit of flair in my midfield as well. Skulls and Modric have a bit of flair, but they're more technical in terms of keeping the ball and composure. But Kaká will have the fun. Having Ronaldo on in the front three and having Kaká up front uh, behind him as well, that would be great. And I personally think it's like the worst time possible when you've got Kaká and Ronaldo together. Two most expensive footballers of all time in that same tr- summer transfer window. And Kaká began his injury issues again and again. And it was right place, wrong time, I think. One of those things with Ricardo Kaká. That's a great shout. You know what, when you said you're not taking Casemiro, I thought, oh my goodness, because I think if you were going defensively, it would have had to been him. But no, Kaká was, I mean, my AC Milan Kaká was just lethal. And you're so right. Like we forget that he really was the superstar of football until Ronaldo and Messi came along. And he's brilliant. He's played everywhere. He's so well-versed. I think that yeah, that's an absolutely great show. I completely didn't even think of him when I was thinking about your team. I was too focused on my team, but I was wondering who you were going to pick. And yeah, no, great show. I'll be honest. I was thinking about that with Yaya Torre as well. I was like, we're both going outside the box here for this. I'm looking forward to seeing who we've both got in our front three. So before we move anywhere further, Sarah, where is Lionel Messi playing in your front three? Yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, because of who I pick actually do you know what Messi can play anywhere and I think it would be fine but I think based on the other two I'm gonna put him I'll put him in the middle put him in the middle yeah yeah so Messi will be right in the middle there I'll put Ronaldo on the left for me so I've got a striker and I've got a right midfielder um well right wing I should say to kind of join us for that so um Let's go right to left again. Who's your right winger for this one, Sarah? You've got an abundance of talent up front as well. You are spoiled for choice with this one. It's insane. No, this up front was cruel. Like, I'll I'll, I'll do the shout-outs after we finish, but... All I'm saying is when we post this on social media, you'll get more hate for the people you leave out of the attack than who you put in for the attack. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. A team of 22, because I would love that. Could do a reserve team as well for this Lionel Messi 11. It'd be insane. It would be, it would still be insane. Yeah, but I can't leave out this player, one of the best football players to watch, one of the most exciting. It is Ronaldinho. I love him as a footballer. He's the kind of footballer that makes you smile when you watch the game. He brings so much joy. He is the person that assisted Messi's first goal for Barcelona. I will never forget that. He's so class. He's not as... We see Brazilians in the way they play, especially a player like, let's say, Neymar. Sometimes they're a little bit too cocky. They're a little too va-va-voom. Ronaldinho would still deke you out. He'd break your ankles, but it would be kind of in the nicest way possible. Do you know what I mean? The fact that Ronaldinho was so strong as well is the fact that you see a lot of these flair players who can skill you and they'd get tackled and they'd be like, like you see with Eden Hazard as well, always on the floor rolling. Ronaldinho would get up and like, yeah, I'll just do it again to you. Yeah, exactly. And he has the ability to assist and cross those balls in and cut in and, you know, go through 17 defenders to get the ball to the net. So I think this one, I, I feel like people might give me some pushback on this, uh, which is fine. But can you tell me that Ronaldinho isn't one of the best footballers to ever watch ever? He is really just joy when you think about football i just want to know your kind of thoughts on ronaldinho because with ronaldinho if you remember well if if you didn't know if anyone doesn't know as well ronaldinho once said to kobe bryant of all people he said that ronaldinho he said that 
Lionel Messi is the player to watch after I'm gone. So even though I'm the main man now at Barcelona, he's the one that's going to take over. I have seen that, and it's that's another reason. Like he, they were they were quite close, and him Ronaldinho saw a lot in Leo Messi because, as I said, like Ronaldinho was kind of he only had a couple of years there. He was on his way out while Messi was just starting. But just like I said, the fact that he assisted Messi's first goal, like that's just that's the romantic in me. That's storybook that you want to hear about. So yeah, I, I think it's he also has vision that other people don't have i think my whole team is going to be just oh i'm so sorry it's okay cut it out <laughs> it's all right and yeah you're saying about the vision um that ronaldinho yeah had. like you have those players like xavi and iniesta and ronaldinho is another one where he will see things that would i would hope that if my 11 go up against your 11 it would be things like that that would be the difference because we know the talents on the pitch there's no doubt definitely no amazing shot and uh, it took me like five, six years to get over Ronaldinho knocking out England of the World Cup in 2002. <laughs> so as you've seen with my face, my kind of my smile went when you said Ronaldinho. Not because of your pick. Not because of your pick. It's because I get PTSD of waking up at like 7 a.m. in the morning to watch Brazil versus England. And uh, Ronaldinho scored an amazing fluke free kick over David Seaman in England. And I just remember him celebrating. And then, and then, Sarah, guess what he did? A couple of seasons later... He then almost joined Manchester United. We got the deal agreed and everything. And then in the last minute, who steals him from Manchester United? It's Barcelona. Ronaldinho could have been a Manchester United player way back when. It would have been insane to have seen Ronaldinho on one wing and Ronaldo, who would have come the same summer, on the other wing as well. That would have been the most amazing story. But that was years to come with Lionel Messi and Ronaldinho becoming one of the most amazing stories as well. So... Fate has yeah. it in different ways sometimes, Sarah. I've got to say, I've definitely got to say that. It's insane. It's strange. But Messi is, I think, much more like a player like Ronaldinho than Ronaldo is now. Do you know what I mean? Ronaldo's that physical kind of like super, you know, strong footballer with an absolute, you know, strike. And Messi is a little bit more of that. Too. Ronaldinho had that as well. I would definitely say he had, well, Ronaldinho had everything to be fair, yeah. but he definitely had that with, with these long range strikes that he had. Insane. He did, yeah, he did. But no, I, I yeah, I know people are gonna probably give pushback there. I mean, to be fair, the players that I was dealing with were just incredible. But Dino is is special to to me. I think maybe that would have what it was. But yeah, going with him. Definitely great shout there. Um, I'm undecided between two on my right hand side, but I'm gonna go for the the not so obvious choice. I'm gonna go for Luis Figo, Portugal. Yeah. I thought that I thought that was I thought for sure Luis Figo was going to be there. I'm happy with Luis Figo, amazing player. Obviously, it's one of those things where you're looking at how well they did in that first tournament they played together, the Euro 2004 um, Championships, and they got to the final in their home tournament, and they lost to Greece of all teams through a header. And you would have you would have thought that Ronaldo and Figo would have taken it together in Ronaldo's first tournament, Figo's second to last tournament. Um, for Portugal as well. But the other pick that I know I'll get some stick from is Gareth Bale not being on the right wing. So it's one of those things I'm like, eh, Figo or Bale, you're not losing out anywhere at all. So uh, Luis Figo was an amazing player. And I needed to bring him up because I want to hear your thoughts on Luis Figo being a Barcelona fan as well, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Listen, Luis Figo, especially, what was it, the 2006 World Cup for Portugal class, he was 
one of the main figures of football when I was growing up, as much as I, you know, don't, don't really like Portugal and don't like Real Madrid, you can't be ignorant to the talent he has. And he's, again, one of those players that brings so much leadership to a team. So I think that's really important as well. And I think, again, yeah, the 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 relationship he probably has with Cristiano Ronaldo, a young Ronaldo on a Portuguese team with Luis Figo, like, it's incredible. And I, I honestly, I'm not shocked at all. I, I actually think it makes more sense, in my opinion as well, to take Figo over Bale. Nothing against Gareth Bale as well, but I think Luis Figo in his prime is maybe a bit more... Uh, it's hard to say. I don't know if I can finish the sentence, but... Figo was a Ballon d'Or winner as well at Barcelona, which is crazy to think about as well. And it goes to show how well Figo was as a player. Because at the time, Portugal were a small footballing nation. They hadn't yeah. been big since Eusebio back in the 60s. So he was their next kind of shining light, in a sense, with Luis Figo. So I'm, I'm, I'll happily take Figo over Gareth Bale, even though everyone knows I love Gareth Bale quite a lot, being one of the best British players um, we've ever seen in our lifetime as well. Um, but yeah, Figo for me on the right, Ronaldinho for you on the right for you as well. You've got your left winger, right? Because you've got Messi yeah. in the middle. Yeah. And then again, so I mean the abundance of players, but I went with Thierry Henry. I'm not mad at that at all. Definitely not mad <laughs> at that at all. I can't I can't be I can't be mad at that at all. That's like the 2008. Was it 2008 when Henri moved? Henri was there in 2007, but you had Henri Messi, Eto, Ronaldinho in 2008. So amazing talent that you've got there as well. I could talk about Thierry Henry for days because Thierry Henry was someone who, again, like Ronaldinho, haunted me every season by always scoring for Arsenal against Manchester United, always Arsenal, doing so well. France, maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, he's just, everywhere he went, he dominated. He's like the epitome of what a striker is. And I mean, there were other players that... Sorry to interrupt, did you see that CBS interview when Jack Grealish yeah. said, could you take on Carl Walker? And he was like, oh, in my prime. Okay. Absolutely, all day. I love him as a pundit, you know. I really hope he doesn't go to PSG. Don't get into that messy water over there, please. Us in the UK, we love CBS because it just shows the pundits as they naturally would be. And they're so much more fun to watch than they are on TV in the UK yeah. when they've got so much red tape to adhere by as well. That's why a lot of people watch these podcasts and they watch YouTube shows because they show a bit more personality. But when you're on CBS doing it in front of the world, Amazing, amazing work by CBS. Uh, I look up to Kate Abdo so much. She, she and Kay Murray are probably like my two as female football pundits, like two that I look up to so much. She's so composed and she's so well-versed, but at the same time, yeah, she has the best time. But that's also like, I completely agree. I think it's so much more natural watching the pundits speak their mind and, you know, analyze the game and the players, but still do it in a way where it's humanized and it's not robotic merely. If you have the chance, watch Valentina Macheri uh, in the Bundesliga as well. She's quality. She speaks like five different languages. She's into all different kind of football like you are as well, into different leagues. So she's well-versed on different things and in different languages as well. So that's definitely another person to look out for. I think she might be working for um, DAZN, um this summer for the World yeah. Cup. So that's another one if you are interested in following her career. She's really, really good. Yeah, um, appreciate it. No, I will. But and then yeah. you'll be up there in like three years' time when the World Cup oh, happens. So it's going to happen. I have to, get, I have to get over there first, you know? Like that's that's the next move, honestly. Like it's Europe. It has to be just for football. It doesn't Definitely. make sense. Yeah, it yeah, happens. So. But um, yeah, 
But we're going back to Thierry Henry. Talk to me about his relationship with Lionel Messi. Obviously, winning his first Champions League in 2009 when Messi and Samuel Eto'o scored against Manchester United. The pain is here, but I've accepted it already from this podcast. Um, talk to me about Thierry Henry and your love of him when he joined Barcelona away from Arsenal as well. Yeah, I mean, he was there. He like seeing him go through the World Cup in 2006, where that final was awful because TT got hit in the head in that final if you remember and within he a minute like, as well yeah he looked concussed the whole game like he was wobbling and not playing well in the zizu like i i still think france should have won that tournament but i think so too yeah so you know the quality was there 2004 arsenal invincibles like tt already had the name for himself comes to barcelona plays alongside the likes of messi what they accomplished there under guardiola and just Another player that I think, and now we're seeing him as a manager and then as a pundit, but it's another player that I think has a really high soccer IQ. Like he's really, really bright. And I think- I liked his video of him when, have you seen that video of him at Montreal? Just like fully shouting at the players. It's like, Mason was there, Mason was there. And then he had to then kind of wind himself back because a few players who are so good at football can't really translate it to players who are not at his level. I think, personally for me, I think Frank Lampard's another one of those who's an amazing player, but can't translate it on the training pitch. And Thierry Henry is definitely someone like that um, as well. So hopefully he stays at CBS and definitely does go to, to PSG as well. We'd all miss him, definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, listen, there were several players that I could have put up here. I'll just shout them out now because Kylian Mbappe is one of them, which is just definitely. crazy to think about. Do you know what I mean? Like, we have David Villa, Neymar, Alexis Sanchez, Eto, Aguero, Crespo, Di Maria. Like, listen, it Henrik was- Larson. I'm going to shout out Henrik Larson for his first few years at um, Barcelona as well. Henrik Larson was a big, big yeah. man um, at Barcelona. Because if you remember that Champions League final against Arsenal, when Arsenal were winning 1-0 and Messi didn't come on as a sub, they brought in Henrik Larson instead. And he was on who assisted the two goals in that final as well. Him and Iniesta were the two subs that came on and changed that game for Barcelona to win their first Champions League in a good number of years as well. So Henrik Larson, I do have to shout out. Um, That's a great well. shout. And he's but, one of the few players that played with Ronaldo as well. So I wanted to shout him out as well. Oh, uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was tough. But I think overall, when you're thinking about a well-rounded striker, like TT might be one of the best strikers we've also seen again. He's... Yep. A complete package. So I had to go with him, but in no way that does that take away from any of those players I just meant. As I mentioned, it is an abundance of talent and we are the ones being pressed to pick. So that is the end of mine. But tell me your last footballer. Uh, um, just I'm going to give everyone the shout out. So Karen Benzema, I'm going to give a shout out to Raul. Um, who else can I kind of go for? I mentioned Mesut Ozil previously. I can talk about Nani, I can talk about. I was actually, I was going to say you didn't pick Nani. I so had you picking Nani. Nani would have been a really good one for left wing if I had Ronaldo in the middle. Di Maria, another quality player that we both could have picked, both for Argentina oh. and for Real Madrid respectively, uh, as well. Um, but I'm going to go for the. I'm going to consider it the safe option because this is where a lot of people kind of got it. They, they kind of love Ronaldo from this moment when he had his partnership in 2006-7 season with Wayne Rooney up front. And we won the free peak for Manchester United. Three Premier League, league pre, three Premier Leagues in a row with Wayne Rooney and Ronaldo up front. Ronaldo's first Ballon d'Or, Ronaldo's first Champions League, all kind of came from that partnership with Wayne Rooney. And I'll never get tired of speaking about Wayne Rooney 
probably one of my favourite players, if not my favourite player of all time, in terms of the fact that he would give everything for the team, everything for the club. And he kind of gave, it's going to sound weird when I say it, but everything to allow Ronaldo to be Ronaldo for those three years that we won the Premier League. He didn't have to trap back. Wayne Rooney would trap back. He didn't have to worry about taking set pieces anymore. Sometimes it would be Giggs or Rooney or um, Carrick, but it wasn't really Ronaldo. Ronaldo was more in the box, getting better at his, as we all now all know now, his amazing leap in headers, his airtime is getting better and better. And that's what I really appreciated from Wayne Rooney as well. The fact that he was a selfless character to allow Cristiano Ronaldo to become the greatest player that we saw at Manchester United in that time as well. And obviously beating Chelsea in that 2008 final will be one of the sweetest memories I've had as a Manchester United fan as well. Um, <laughs> 2009 and 2011, we won't mention much because uh, we'll leave that for another day as well. But Wayne Rooney's in my team and definitely shout out to Raul, to Benzema. Benzema was... Ben was one that I think, yeah, easily could have been in there. But if you're speaking about players that are influential to Ronaldo's career, especially at such a primary stage of his career, I completely... Like, you can't not say Rooney. I get it. But it's also just like Kareem Benzema and Ronaldo when they were at Real Madrid were lethal like iconic i got i got criticized for choosing benzema as one of the most important players in ravager's history in their modern history especially he's done so so well and the fact that he's retired now everyone's now giving him his flowers but for me for years i've always loved karen benzema doing so well um at real madrid but i guess that's what football fans are like sometimes always like oh until he's gone we won't appreciate him we're the worst no truly I completely agree I think that um, Benzema didn't get he was in Ronaldo's shadow for a while there and I think maybe that's why people didn't see his talent but when he played with Ronaldo like it was incredible like assisting nearly every goal Ronaldo was scoring and then Ronaldo leaves and he becomes the main front man and then eventually wins a Ballon d'Or like this this is the real deal like I don't know maybe it's because I watch a lot of La Liga and of course being a Barca fan you keep close eyes on Real Madrid but I completely agree. I think Karim Benzema is, is one of the, the best talents we've seen in, in modern football at Real Madrid, for sure. One last question from you, from me to you is Benzema Wayne Rooney, who's had a greater career? Hmm. Benzema didn't win a World Cup because he wasn't called up in that 2018, was it? 2018, was Yeah, he? he wasn't there. He wasn't there, which is also just ridiculous because he absolutely should have been like in my eyes he has a world's cup because i'm like he was absolutely part of that french team it's like aguero with the argentine side he was there definitely in spirit karen benzema um it's like with frank it's like with frank ribbery as well should have been in that france team for a good number of years just wasn't because of politics yeah Yeah, there's always so much drama with these french players it's really interesting but i mean I feel like when you think about football and the history, like Wayne Rooney is maybe more influential. But in terms of Champions League, how many does Kareem Benzema have to Wayne Rooney? Exactly. I think that's got to be, uh, if you're talking about in terms of trophies as well, you've got more trophies on Karen Benzema's side than you do on Wayne Rooney's side. I think in terms of goals, you've got more on Benzema's side than Rooney's side as well. So it's one of those where if you... If, if that's your school of thought for trophies and goals in terms of the better player, it would be yeah. Karen Benzema. If it's in terms of who was a better teammate for Ronaldo, I would still back Wayne Rooney over Karen Benzema. So it's one of those things that it'll be a never-ending circle of debates going forward, but each to yeah. their own, they're both yeah. amazing players and 
both players I yeah, appreciate. Yeah, not a bad so place much. to be. You know, picking one of the two, you're going to win either way. So there are worse places to be when you're looking at Ronaldo's best teammates and Messi's uh, best teammates as well. So I think we've done really, really well there, Sarah. Um, can you read out your team for us, please? Yes, so we have Marc-Andre Ter Stegen in the back, Danny Alves, Carlos Puyol, Javier Mascherano, Jordi Alba, defensive men. In the middle, we have Xavi, uh, Xavi Yaya Toure and Iniesta. And then up front, we have Ronaldinho, Messi and Thierry Henry. That's crazy. I'm going to assume <laughs> Messi's like a false nine as well to allow these two freedom on the wings as well, which is great. Uh, my team back to the front for team Cristiano Ronaldo is Gianluigi Buffon in goal. Sergio Ramos, uh, Rio Ferdinand, Giorgio Chiellini and Marcelo at the back. Then we've got Luka Modric, Paul Scholes and Kaká in our midfield. Then we've got Figo, Luis Figo, Wayne Rooney and we've got Cristiano Ronaldo up front as well. So when I was telling my friends I was doing this podcast, everyone's like, don't even bother. Messi's going to win. Messi's going to win. But I found, I found a really good team to compete with this. So we'll let the public decide. We'll let our fans decide as well from both respective um, platforms as well. See who's got the best team. But... You're going to say Do you something. Think it Sorry. Too much, yeah, too much talent on the pitch between both sides that maybe it just won't be good. It's just too good to be true. Like this is just listening to your team back again too and looking at mine like these are some of the best footballers that have ever played the game ever. You're lo- you're <laughs> looking at it and you're just kind of thinking are we not just playing like our all-time draft? It's like an all-time draft for two different sides as well and we've just killed it. Um, in terms yeah, of that as well, yeah. which is insane. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be Messi and Ronaldo. It could just be the best of the best. Oh, Just our favourite yeah. players, which is insane. But no, really well done there, Sarah. I'm really, really happy that, first of all, we've, we've done it in a very civil way and it's not turned into, uh, in terms of, oh, you have to go for this play, you have to go for this play because you, you, there's no wrong answer in a way from what I've kind of learned from this way because you've got so many different plays that we've left out. Like for me, for example, I would have picked someone like David Villa in this messy side because oh, I loved his link up as well not to pick him don't even get me started uh, if you had to change one from my team who would you change would it be the Benzema one or would you go for someone in the midfield Benzema's not bad yeah the the Casemiro is a, is a tough one back there but I like your Kaka honestly it honestly it it Oh, do you know what? I don't know. It's it's. We so could be tough. here all evening doing this as well. Yeah, that's the thing. There are so many, but then you think about it and you're like, but they are really good. Like, it's tricky. It's tricky. It. Yeah, you're right. We can't. We can't go wrong with this. <laughs> I think the only way we can do this is if we do a part two of this and we find two different players as well to go through their history. That would be quite cool. I think. Would you be down that for that, Sarah? Would- Players be though, because now we're talking like Messi and Ronaldo. So would it be like Pele Maradona, <laughs> or we could do like Zizou? Zizou would be a good one. Zizou actually. Ronaldinho. Yeah, that would oh. That would be difficult. Brazil team? Are you sure you want to do that? Ninety-eight World Cup France team. Yeah, it's also an iconic team as well. Oh. That's actually really good. Zizou and Dinho. I like that a lot. Original Galacticos as well. So I've got Beckham, I've got Guti, Roberto, Carlos all waiting in the wings. And first one to pick Roberto, Carlos as well. That would be crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> uh, which would be... Nah, I'm looking forward to that. We'll set a date in our diary for that. And I'm sure everyone listening, I've, I've probably enjoyed listening to this as well, as well. And they'll be complaining at me for, for everything that I've done, but it happens. It definitely, oh, definitely happens. Uh, but uh, thank you very much for playing the game, Sarah. Really, really well done. Um, before we wrap up the podcast, just a few thoughts from yourself on Barcelona for the upcoming season. You had a few money issues over the last few years as well. You've won La Liga. 
back in the Champions League, of course. What's your expectation for the next season? You're looking to reta- uh, retain La Liga, push forward in the Champions League? What have we kind of got going forward? Barcelona? Yeah, I mean, with the season that was, Xavi's full season as a manager, winning La Liga, it's it's not bad. It's not bad at all. And they did it in a really dominating way. And that's great. We're playing defensive football, which is not something I'm used to as a Barcelona fan. But Shout out Ronald Araujo. Love that guy. So, so good. Underrated. Underrated. I want, him, so- I want him at Man United. I messaged you a couple of days ago about getting rid of Harry Maguire. If I had my ideal choice, it would be Araujo. But no, he didn't make La Liga team of the season. Insulting. So it's- insulting seeing that happen. Played at right back and centre back this season as well. Could play all over yeah. the park. He could. Amazing player. No, I love it. He's, uh, I think, Barcelona's maybe most important player right now. Absolutely. I would say so. I would definitely He's- say so because you got Pedri and Gavi will probably stay there because they're their local talents as well. Lewandowski will definitely stay there, but probably one of your most valuable players as well, I would say. If if yeah. you did have to sell a player for Messi to come in, obviously it's not the case. Maybe they would look to sell Frankie De Jong and Araujo. Definitely yeah. looking at selling some of those players as well, but Araujo is a quality player as well. What have you enjoyed about him this season? I mean, he he's one of, besides Ter Stegen, one of the reasons why Barcelona have been so defensively sound. He cleans yeah. up everything in the back and there have been issues with players like Jordi Alba and his age, you know, showing a bit more and then Valde coming in and kind of, he's come to be amazing as the season has progressed. But, you know, that that when you're a young footballer and you're kind of making your way into the team, it is a bit daunting. It is a bit overwhelming. So there were games where he wasn't always the best and then Koundé was out. Don't even get me started on Eric Garcia. I don't want to list our time. But I won't waste your time on Marcos Alonso as well. It is embarrassing uh, to him as well. You know what I mean? Like there were so many moving parts in the defense, but he was the one constant that was there and always was just giving 110%. And it's, it's one, I think, maybe the reason why Barcelona won the championship. I, I would leave that statement there. Barcelona won because of Ronald Carajo. Don't blame him at all. And I don't blame you for making that comment because he's an amazing sense of that. But are you looking forward to seeing any certain new signings, any new young players coming from La Masia? What are we kind of thinking about there, Sarah? Well, the rumours are that Barcelona are getting Vitor Roque. So, I mean, great. And now that there's no Messi coming in, it seems like, okay, they can go after players. I mean, I've, I've heard that Ilkay Gundogan rumour kind of going around. And if that's the case, that would be fantastic I love Gundogan I think he's such a good player but I don't know if we can afford him I don't know if it's actually true there's probably seven other clubs that want him as well but biggest thing for Barcelona it doesn't matter who they sign is this season whether they win La Liga or not Champions League Barcelona are one of the biggest teams in world football whether they're winning or they're losing you cannot be knocked out of the Champions League in the group stage like this consistently so it's uh, a lot of pressure on the guys, but now that they've won the La Liga, that monkey's kind of off the back. And now I yep. think they need to go full steam ahead and go for a solid run. I'm not saying win the whole thing, but like cement yourself back into the Champions League. Show your but, dominance again. Go for a semi final or a quarter final, maybe even a final yeah. as well, which would be yeah. something that Barcelona fans have come to expect over the years as well. Haven't won a. I haven't won a European trophy since 2015 as well. So something that is long overdue for obviously a, literally long overdue yeah. since the days of MSN that we've seen as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Barcelona can bring back um, in the Champions League, especially because you got knocked out by Manchester United in the round of 16 at, in the Europa League. That was uncommon because I'm just kind of there like we never win. 
we never win against Barcelona. For some reason, we won against this Barcelona side. And it goes to show how different it was for you in domestic football compared to European football as well. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing you. And potentially, we could be drawn in the same group as well. Your part one and we're part two. Listen, as long as Bayern Munich's not in our group again, we need a break from that. And they won't be as they are their domestic winners. So that's good news. But we could be. I mean, what are you looking forward to with Manchester United? Because there is a lot of talk that Mr. Harry Kane is coming to the Red Devils. Nah. Basically, <laughs> if you're a Man United fan, you get linked to at least 150 different plays in a transfer window. 150 yeah, is the minimum. So if I get myself happy for Harry Kane... And then we get someone like Woot Weghorst on a permanent deal. My hype and my expectation goes from there all the way to there. I'm then going into the season deflated and I'm looking at it thinking, you know what, this is not nice. I very much trust Ericsson Hug. I'm not sure what's happening with this ownership situation. We'll see what happens with it. If we do get a really good transfer budget, that would be great. If we use some of our younger players, that would be great as well. We've got a young player called Ahmad Diallo. Um, who was on loan last season doing quite well at Sunderland and now hopefully coming back into the first team. We need to get rid of a lot of our dead wood. It's like with Barcelona a couple of years ago. Go go get rid of so many different players. Some like Martial, Harry Maguire, Alex Tellez, Eric Bailly, some of these players who just go on loan all the time, never go never go anywhere because their wages are like 110,000 for a backup mm-hmm. left back. That's not on anywhere else in the Premier League besides Manchester United for giving these stupid contracts out. So if we can get rid, if we can get rid of some of these, I'll be so happy. More than who we sign in. What about uh, the likes of Victor Osiman? Is that Os- someone you'd be? Interested in? Osiman would be a dream because there was a time once before when Man United went for the Premier League proven striker and Robin Van Persie, as opposed to Robert Lewandowski. So way back in 2013, no, 2012, when he lost the league to the Aguero moment um, for Manchester City. <laughs> PTSD strikes again. Sorry, it happens a lot on this podcast, Sarah. You'll get used to it eventually. Um, but yeah, we went for Robin Van Persie and he was amazing in that first season under Asaitz Ferguson. Then he retired. Then we had Van Persie under David Moyes who would score the goals, didn't have the same impact as he did in the first season and we finished seventh. But Robert Lewandowski was slowly but surely building his way up at Borussia Dortmund, went to the Champions League final with Dortmund, um, scoring those four goals against Real Madrid in the semi-final, which you would have loved definitely would have loved that I'm sure you did um and then a couple of seasons later moves to Bayern Munich for free free and he did such amazing work for Bayern Munich winning them the Champions League in 2020 that's something where I don't think we should make the same mistake again if we have the money go all out for a Victor Oshiman Erasmus Hoyland Marcus Turam on a free would be ideal for me personally I'd love to see him I've been a big fan of him for a good number of years as well and I'm looking for these kind of players to come in and kind of hold the line for Man United for at least four or five years as opposed to getting a play for two, three years and then they're kind of wilting away. Sure. We've seen They'll that with... Instead uh, of just, you know... And what about uh, David De Gea in the back? Oh, uh, I mean, you're... you're oh. <laughs> how, much, how much time do you have with David De Gea? The thing is, I've always loved David De Gea, but it is one of those things that you see Manchester United more than not being sentimental to players who don't really deserve to be sentimental to. We've seen them keep Phil Jones for longer than they should. We've keep seen them keep Harry Maguire longer than they should as well. A lot of these players who aren't cut out for it aren't great. We saw how Onana did amazing um, at the Champions League final and has been really, really good all season. I mean, the Cameroon thing was quite kind of worrying how they got rid of him in that third game in the World Cup and then they got knocked out. I thought it was pretty good in that kind of way. We've seen uh, Mike Menyan for AC Milan do amazing work. 
moving forward with AC Milan and they're, they could, they're under their own kind of crisis. So if we were to keep David De Gea, we definitely can't keep him on 300k a week because the quality of performance that he has for a 2023 goalkeeper isn't worth it. We've seen Mark Testegen do amazing from 2015 to 2023. We've seen players like Manuel Neuer kind of invent that sweeper-keeper type of role. Edison, Allison, Onana, Mike Menyan, amazing keepers that we've seen consistently over the years as well. David De Gea is consistently great at 80% of a modern goalkeeper that we've seen. That 20% that we saw in the Champions, no, in the FA Cup final, embarrassing. And that second goal as well. I was, I was okay. there having... I was there having dinner with my friends and I'm just kind of there like, this is not how I want to go out. If it was like another amazing banger from Gundogan, great. But it was like one of those FIFA goals, wasn't it? Just bouncing two, three times. Yeah. And then... I mean, this, the game against Sevilla was really, I mean, that must have been torture for you. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I'm used to losing to Sevilla. So I got PTSD again from watching oh, okay. Sevilla. But that was, again, a prime example of why you can't have David De Gea and Harry Maguire in this Manchester United side. If he played yeah. a different type of football, like a Jose Mourinho type of football, great. From goal kicks, always going long, perfectly fine. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you lose the ball going out for a throw. It, with Eric Ten Hag, he needs to keep the ball. He needs to build up from the back, as we saw with that amazing Ajax side. We've seen it with different teams moving forward and that's the way modern football's going. You know yourself from Barcelona, you've seen it for a good number of years that this is where we have to move forward. Manchester United need to do that as well. Um, need to replace the goalkeeper, replace the centre-back ideally and I'm look, looking forward to seeing what we've got throughout the summer. But with Man United fans, it's always expectations there and reality's there. So hopefully Ericsson Hart can bridge that gap closer and closer over the summer. Yeah, let's see. He's a he's a good coach, and I think you guys have finally found one that has stuck since Sir Alex Ferguson, which is just crazy. But Absolutely. I think you guys are going to be really competitive this season. So fingers crossed. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there eventually, and hopefully, we meet in the Champions League as well, which would be great. Um, but before we wrap up the podcast, first of all, it's been amazing to speak to you, Sarah. Um, great, fantastic football knowledge as well. So it's great to speak to someone like-minded as well in terms of passion about their football club, passion about football, and obviously promoting their own kind of work and their own media as well, which is great to see. Um, I just kind of want to know from you, what's your plan for the summer? Are you looking at going to promote your podcast anywhere or on your media circuit? So you're going to go around Canada or maybe across the Americas, or is it going to be just work, work, work until the new season of European football starts. Yeah, we have a lot going on here in Canada. Canada are competing in the Gold Cup tomorrow. They have a they have a UEFA, not a UEFA, a CONCACAF. Conca-Caf. Nation, Jesus, uh, <laughs> Nations semi-final tomorrow against Panama. The final will be over the weekend, either against US or Mexico, and then they have the Gold Cup a week later or a week and a half later. And Canada hasn't won the men's team. A, trophy since 2000 so these guys are going for it and then just a few weeks later we have the women's world cup which will take us nicely right into the premier league season so never uh, a boring I'm, year being a football fan there's always some type of football going on yeah exactly no there's never anything oh my gosh sorry um no there's never anything that's it doesn't really stop because i think even think about next year you have the Copa America, you have the Euros that'll kind of like hold us over. But yeah, there's a lot going on. So we're just going to be here covering that. I have a bit of holiday, which is class. But um, yeah, just working. And honestly, like this transfer window is going to be nuts. It's all, it already has been. Like we got Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid. I, I, got, I got a bit of concern over there right now. 
I'm I was looking at it thinking I recently went to Real Madrid as well and I'm thinking did I go at the right time did I go and I'm like yeah I've, I've got I can't think like that because otherwise I'll just be there like oh, I'll have to go again to watch Real Madrid play um as well which was yeah great fun but I was I was I was hoping Messi would go back to Barcelona but wasn't the case unfortunately but I'm looking forward to the summer transfer window I'm looking forward to kind of not looking at things until I'm seeing the players holding the shirts. When they're holding the shirts, that's when it's confirmed. I don't really like the yeah, whole Fabrizio awesome. Romano thing. Oh, he's looking he's at getting his player. Yeah. And listen, so here we go. With Kai Havertz. With Kai Havertz Arsenal. to Arsenal. What are we doing? <laughs> Barella to Newcastle. That was insane. That's like a FIFA transfer. It's absolutely yeah. insane. I kind of want it to happen, though. It just seems chaotic, and I'm here for it. And also, Newcastle haven't really used that... that you know, money they have yet. They had a really kind of reasonable transfer window in the last summer and then in the winter. But we know that they're capable of so much more. And I'm kind of like, all right, Newcastle, go crazy now. I see them compete with Manchester City in the bidding wars throughout the summer. That would be insane. Actually, even yeah. with Chelsea as well. Chelsea may end up spending a lot after burning through all of their cash in January, which would be absolutely insane as well. Um, but no, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your work as well. Uh, from Room 442 as well, Sarah. Keep up the great work, inspiring stuff, and look forward to seeing more of it. And hopefully, like you said, if you're looking at coming over to Europe, you know where I am now. If you want to ever go to a game in England, I won't take you to watch Manchester City, even if you do the Pep Guardiola. We'll have to go watch <laughs> the red side of Manchester United, which will be great fun. But everyone, thank you very much for listening. Sarah, I'll let you use this time to kind of plug your own kind of um, podcast and your own kind of work that you're doing as well. Yeah, so it's at uh, The Room 442, The Room. And then on Twitter, at Sarah Peraria. You can probably spell that in the caption. It's easier, S-A-R-A-P-O-R-A-R-I-A. Those are my two biggest things. I'm on Instagram, but it's it's not for the best. So one of the two, I love Twitter. So always, if anyone, you have any questions, slide into my DMs because I always am chatting to journalists and people on Twitter. I think it's a great space. So let's also keep it a great space because it can get dark. <laughs> keep it that way it's, it's what we love to see but yeah everyone thank you very much for listening Sarah thank you very much for your time take care and we'll see you later goodbye